Morning. Nice to come and share with you this morning. That sounds a bit sharp to me, but maybe it's okay from where you are. Let's uh, take a moment to ask God to help us as we look at his word together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lovely word that we have read together. We thank you for this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, which has much to teach us. And we thank you that your word is a word which still speaks today. And we pray that you will help us to understand it in the enabling grace of your spirit. Give us open hearts and minds that speaker and hearers alike might hear from you this day and be changed a little more into the image of Jesus as a result of our sharing together as we worship you today and as we consider your word together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the title I gave to uh, the uh, thoughts that I had this morning, A Remarkable Couple. Uh, The verses that Roger has read to us uh, speak about a life-changing moment for Zachariah and consequently for Elizabeth and consequently for a lot of other people since. And um, it's interesting that just as we prepare for Christmas, and we've been singing a few Christmas songs this morning and No doubt, uh, in different ways, each of us are busy getting ready for Christmas. So, actually, God was getting ready for Christmas, if I can put it that way, not too irreverently. He was also preparing. He was making a way. And at this time, as we have read, it was to do with the birth of John, John the Baptist, as we know him, a very important person who prepared the way for the Lord, as was described by the angel. Now, priests like Zechariah, uh, they would go uh, into the temple probably a couple of times a year to serve. Uh, the rest of the time, they lived out in the Judean countryside round and about Jerusalem. But um, twice a year, usually, they would be called in to serve in the temple. And uh, this was one of those occasions when um, Zechariah was there. But on this particular occasion, God broke in in a very dramatic way that we've read about in these verses. God had planned to break into their lives in this way. And this was a, it was interesting because this is a defining moment for Zechariah because what he was actually doing here, as we are, as it's described for us here, the lot, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, verse 9, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. That only ever happened to a priest once in his lifetime. So this was his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And he must have been, I guess, uh, uh, not only thrilled at that, but maybe there was a heightened sense of wanting to listen to what God might be saying to him as he did this once-in-a-lifetime task. So you can imagine that he's delighted to have been chosen, and he's there in the temple And then something quite extraordinary happens. But we'll come back to that in a minute. I wanted just to put out there, there are, uh, um, some preachers like three headings, some people like two, and some people don't have any. I've got five this morning, but that's why I thought I'd put them up on the screen, so you might just remember them if they were there. Because I want us to think a little bit about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and before we get to the verses of of uh, Gabriel speaking to Zechariah in the temple, we have these verses in 5, 6, and 7. 
that tell us a number of things. First of all, verse 6 tells us that they were blameless. Part of their being a remarkable couple was that they were blameless. They were good, righteous, upright, God-fearing people. Did you see that? Verse 5, verse 6 rather, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were ordinary people living in an extraordinary way. The kind of people that Abbey Church, and any other church for that matter, would love to have as people in its congregation. They were ordinary people, but living in an extraordinary way. It tells us that they were good and upright, and that they lived their lives observing all the commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, the New Century Version of the Bible, this verse, it actually describes them Uh, It has the words, without fault, rather than blameless. And as I pondered that, I thought, that's actually not very helpful, because they were not without fault. None of us are without fault, this side of heaven. Um, That's not the meaning here. The word is blameless, and I think it's a very helpful word, as I was thinking about it, because um, it's possible to be blameless in our attitudes, even if what we do sometimes isn't always right, we can have a heart that wants to do the right thing and in that sense are, are blameless. I, I was thinking that Emma, our um, almost six-year-old granddaughter, I mean, um, I suspect this might be maybe the second year that she will have written a Christmas card for us. We haven't had it yet, but I've no doubt we'll get it in time. And uh, last year, she did her very best, but there was the odd little mistake in it because she did it herself and She'd only just started to go to school, so she'd only just started to learn to write. But um, when Christine and I looked at that card, we didn't say, Oh, Emma, you made a terrible mistake there, girl. No, we're going to have to sort that out. We saw the mistake, yes, but we recognized that her heart was that she wanted to get it right, even if she didn't manage to get it right. And as adults, we're the same, aren't we? We, we, we often make mistakes, but that... But the sense that Zachariah and Elizabeth have spoken about here is that they wanted to do the right thing. I was reminded of a verse in Psalm 78 that speaks about David, that he shepherded the people of God with integrity of heart. Now, we know that David made lots of mistakes, huge mistakes. But the Word of God tells us that he shepherded the people of Israel with integrity. He wanted to do the right thing, even if he didn't always manage to do the right thing. And I think that's the sense that we have here, that they were blameless. They were without blame as far as God was concerned in that sense. But did you notice as well that there was a very important but in verse 7? Because it tells us in verse 7, they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years despite the fact that they prayed a lot about it, because it tells us that in verse 13, when the angel speaks to Zechariah, he says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Of course they prayed about it. They longed to have children. They, it was their, one of their great desires, and it hadn't happened. And that but is a really important but, um, because actually it recognizes that not having children in those days especially was a very serious thing. Uh, there were those who would have pointed the finger at Zachariah and Elizabeth and said, there's something wrong with you two, <laughs> and not just physically. 
Obviously, God's not blessing you because you don't have any children because children were seen in those days, as in many respects they are today, as being a sign of God's blessing. In fact, verse 25, when Zachariah, when Elizabeth became pregnant, she says, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. For the people in those days not to have children was a disgrace. And so it was a really difficult thing for them that she was barren, that they had no children. And it tells us that they were well on in years. I love the way Zachariah describes his wife in that respect as well, that he says he's old, but his wife is well along in years. That's a sign of a true gentleman, that, I think. But, um, but they were getting on a little bit. And uh, I wonder how frustrated they must have felt at that situation, how deep ran their disappointment that they were not able to have the children that they longed to have. But there's no hint in Scripture, at least, that they were angry with God about it, They kept talking to God about it, and eventually, as we know from what we've read, God answered. And now I want us to go back to the temple. Having thought about the fact that Zachariah and Elizabeth, this remarkable couple, were both people who were blameless as far as God was concerned, but had this situation of being barren because they had no children. A third B, as Zachariah hears Gabriel speaking to him in the temple, this was the word that occurred to me. I wanted to stay with the bees. There's another two coming. He was bewildered. Not surprising, really, was it? I mean, there he is. He's excited to be in the temple. He's serving God. He's performing a once-in-a-lifetime task. Maybe he has this heightened awareness of God's presence, and suddenly an angel speaks to him. Now, I don't know whether anybody here has ever had an angel speak to them. Have you ever had an angel appear to you? You can tell me later if you have. It's never happened to me. I I have heard, uh, in a very real sense, God speaking to me, and maybe you can say that in the same way, but this this is a very special scenario where Zachariah hears Gabriel speak to him, sees him. Not surprising that he's bewildered, really. I just jotted down... Uh, I don't know, seven or eight things that might have made him bewildered. First of all, the Gabriel says to him, apart from the fact that the angel appeared in the first place, that, that, he was going, that his prayers had been heard. And you can imagine in Zachariah's mind, uh, yeah, great, but I haven't yet seen any answers to that particular prayer. And then the angel says, you're going to have a son. Okay, not just a baby then, it's, it's a boy. <laughs> And I know what it's going to be. And that was a long time before NHS stuff enabled you to know what the gender of your child was going to be. This is Angel Gabriel saying, it's a son you're going to have. Oh, and by the way, you're going to call him John. John? There's no John in my family. I don't, we, we call people after our uh, um, predecessors. Uh, we, we don't, John? Uh, hang on, I don't understand that. And then the angel says, he's going to be great in God's sight. Oh, uh, no ordinary child then. Mm. Uh, He's not to drink wine. Uh, Not to drink wine? Well, we all drink wine. It's actually safer than drinking wine. What do you mean he's not going to drink wine? I don't understand that. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy who? Uh, And the people of Israel will be turned back 
because of what John does. He'll be turned back to God. Pardon? Did I hear you right? That people of God will be turned back to God because of John? Uh, okay. He's going to be like Elijah. Elijah? He was a fabulous prophet. He was a great prophet. One of the great prophets. He's going to be like Elijah? He'll change families, the angel says. <laughs> well, that'll be a bit tough. He'll get the people ready for God to come among them, says Gabriel. I'm not surprised that Zechariah was bewildered, that Zechariah was, to some extent, unbelieving. I mean, that's a huge amount of things to take on board, isn't it, in a sort of one-minute conversation with an angel that you've never met in your life before? <laughs> but that's what he was told. No wonder he was bewildered. <laughs> of course, Gabriel said, well, I'm not best pleased that you don't believe me. <laughs> and he was struck dumb, we read in the verses. And verses 21 and 22 tell us that the, the people wondered at what was going on. And they came to the conclusion that Zechariah must have heard from God. They didn't know what he'd heard from God, but they'd heard that they felt that he knew that God had spoken to him. They realized, it says in verse 22, he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. So he was bewildered, not surprising, really. But I want us just to change tack a little now, and uh, uh, Alan can get the DVD clip ready if he would. This is a, a, just a short three-minute clip from a DVD called Nativity. It came from the BBC series, The Nativity, that was on television last year. I didn't manage to watch it, so I bought the DVD this year. And this is just a little clip. You'll have to allow the poetic license that always comes with such productions. And there are bits of it that are not entirely scriptural, but I won't tell you which bits, and then you can ask me later if you spotted them as well. But it's pretty much on the right track. It's just a couple of minutes where Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus comes to see her cousin Elizabeth, which is scriptural. So, here you go. Thanks, Alan. A little poetic license, but I, I, that was a nice little exchange that I spotted as I was watching the DVD. And... Um, that sense of, of awe and wonder comes across at least a little in that. And eventually, in our story that we've read together, John was born. So if we move in our Bibles now down to verse 57, and uh, those last few verses that Roger read to us earlier, there's another B that comes very clearly for me here, and that's that word. Of course, um, Zachariah was a little unsure to begin with, but uh, it was very clear to him, was it not, <laughs> when Elizabeth did become pregnant, that God knew exactly what he was doing. And we find that as uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth come to have their uh, child circumcised and uh, the naming ceremony, that was all part of the normal routine of life. And we'll read there in verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. 
And they didn't know what to make of that, so they said, well, hang on, let's ask his father. And so they asked Zechariah, what's the name of your son? And he wrote these words in verse 63. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Elizabeth and Zechariah did not say, we think we'd like to call him John. They did not to say, we consider that's a nice name for him. They didn't say, we have decided to call him John. They simply said and wrote, he is to be called John. Their belief in what God had done, unsurprisingly, because they had physical evidence for it, was supreme. And they believed that God did work a miracle in their lives. It was a settled thing for them. And if God had done this for them, then they were going to be obedient to God. They were going to trust him, believe him. His name is John. God had said that was to be his name. That was the end of the matter. There was to be no discussion about it. And then a last B coming from those verses. There, I just jotted that down, verse 64 that they were indeed a remarkable couple who were significantly blessed by God. The moment that Zechariah wrote, his name is John, Scripture tells us his mouth was open and he was able to praise God out loud using his tongue and his voice. And indeed, God had richly blessed them both. And as part of God's preparation for the coming of the Messiah into the world, this was indeed a remarkable couple. But as we conclude, I want to ask this question. What about us today? What, what does the story, what does the scripture passage that we thought about this morning, what does it say to us today? It's a, it's a nice story. It's a heartwarming story. It has good things for us to learn from, but what does it say to us today? And I just jotted down in my notes, and they're not on the screen, I'm afraid you'll have to make your own notes if you're doing that. Just four things, quite briefly, as we come to a conclusion. The first word that was up there about Zachariah and Elizabeth was that they were blameless. And it, it spoke to my heart that God calls his people today to live blameless lives, to be in a sense, countercultural to the world around us, to the world that would squeeze us into its mold, as J.B. Phillips puts Romans 12. We are to be people who live blameless lives, people who are different, people that others see as being different. Secondly, God calls us to trust him even when life is frustrating. I am privileged to be the father of four children and have no idea what it would feel like to be childless when you want to have children. And if there are people in the congregation this morning who have experienced that, then my heart goes to you, but I, I cannot empathize with you because I don't know what it feels like. But, but that must be tough and was tough for Zachariah and Elizabeth. 
But God calls us to trust him, and I believe that's exactly what they were doing. That's why God chose them. (laughs) Because despite everything, they continued to live upright lives, blameless in God's sight. It would have been very easy for them to have said, God's obviously not answering our prayers, so we won't bother living for him anymore. How many times do you hear that? That people say, well, God doesn't hear my prayers, so I'm not going to bother living in a way that pleases him anymore. But that wasn't true of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So even when it's tough, God calls us to live for him, trusting him. Thirdly, that God speaks to us if we listen. God still speaks to us today if we listen. Zechariah was listening, maybe as I said earlier, maybe it was a, a little heightened in his understanding because of where he was and what he was doing. It was a once-in-a-lifetime situation. The rest of his life was very ordinary, but he heard God speaking very clearly. And uh, I um, think that God only directs us, actually, when we're on the move. <laughs> you know, you can't actually steer a car unless it's moving. You, could, you can move the steering wheel if you, as much as you like, but if it's not moving, it doesn't, you can't steer it anywhere. But when a car is moving and you steer it, but, and God steers us when we're on the move in the ordinary and every day. So maybe today or tomorrow, God might speak to you in the ordinary and every day and make you think, challenge you, encourage you. And then finally, as we conclude, that God speaks in the moment. In the moment that is now. And the question I have to ask myself and I ask you is, are we listening? Let's pray together. Our time has fully gone, but let's pray together as we conclude. Father, we thank you for this lovely story about this remarkable couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Thank you that you saw in them something very special. Thank you that you used them in a remarkable way. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to be a people who live lives which before you are blameless, different, speaking of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be people who trust you even when life is frustrating and tough and hard. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be listening to your voice and to, on the move in every day, to be hearing you speaking in the now and to be obedient to you. And as we prepare our hearts at Christmas and remind ourselves of the Lord Jesus coming into this world, we are reminded too that Advent speaks of his coming again. And we pray that you will help us increasingly to be ready for his coming again that you might be glorified in us as individuals and amongst us as a fellowship of your people. So we bring you thanks for what you speak to us about today. Help us to listen, we pray, as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.